Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Oh, he's so hey, awesome. everybody, episode six. 54 of the podcast of Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast presented by Bedford Sportsbook. It is Friday, January 20th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. And let me tell you, let's do some quick story time with Torres because here is the bottom line. Today's show, Friday's show was done early Thursday night. I was like, I'm good. I got my show done. I'm ready to chill Maybe have a vodka soda or two. I might have already had one when the news broke that Cormani McLean, the top uncommitted or really unsigned high school football player in America, had been committed to Miami, ends up flipping to Deion Sanders, Colorado. Coach Prime does it again. We're going to talk about that. Take a quick break. Talk about two stories from the Wednesday slate of college hoops as UConn. My Huskies continue to struggle, and then we'll discuss the debacle of Arkansas-Missouri 56 total foul calls. The SEC office screws up a replay situation, and I'm just telling you, this league has a refereeing crisis on its hands. And then we'll take a quick break. We will come back. Jamie and Christian, you heard him on this feed yesterday. Um, College Hoops Daily, I hope you enjoyed Zach and Jamie, and they do an excellent job on that show but 10-year college head coach, Jamie and Christian, he joins me. We talk UConn. We talk this. We talk that. Marquette. We talk a lot of very interesting things that are going on in college basketball right now. You get a coach's perspective, courtesy of Jamie and Christian. Hope you guys and girls enjoy Jamie and on the College Hoops Daily. Uh, and now he joins Zach and I. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I just told you. Uh, Friday show was done. I was chilling, may have poured myself a drink. I was having a good time, ready to relax, watch some Thursday night college hoops. When news that we were sort of expecting maybe a few days ago, whatever becomes official. Cormani McLean, the top cornerback in high school football, according to 24 seven sports had been committed to Miami. He officially announces that he has decommitted from the hurricanes 
and he is headed to Colorado to play for Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, and I don't know what else to say. I told you Coach Prime was going to be a hit at the highest levels of college football. He does it again as he gets another elite five-star player to come play for him. Last year, it was Travis Hunter flipping from Florida State. This year, it is Cormani McLean. So let's break it all down and let's discuss it. And here's the bottom line. Listen, if you follow college football recruiting, or if you frankly follow the Aaron Torres podcast YouTube channel, this is a topic we've actually talked about a lot really over the last two, three weeks. Cormani McLean, if you remember, weird commitment. Um, you know, he it, it seemed like it was a battle between Alabama and Florida. Uh, you know, kind of calls a press conference and he announces that he is going to Miami. So right away, you know, people are kind of wondering what's going on. What's the deal? Blah, 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 blah. But we go into signing day right before Christmas and we find out just shortly after the fact that uh, Cormani McLean is not signing with Miami. And so at that point, it immediately becomes a story of where is he going to go? What is he going to do? And immediately all of the people who cover recruiting 24, seven, 365, respect the heck out of those guys and girls. It is not an easy job. Immediately you start getting Intel that they at least want to hear what coach prime has to say about the situation at Colorado. So from there, we have a very interesting situation over the last four or five days. Um, we have reports that Cormani McLean is going to recommit this past Sunday. I think it was the 15th. But what was interesting was last Friday, we started to get some reports that Cormani McLean was actually on Colorado's campus visiting Coach Prime. Then he goes on social media, says that he's still in Florida, tags himself in Tampa. Nobody really knows quite what is going on exactly. And then finally, after a, a, some more social media, you know, I, I don't know what the right word is, but misdirection, the Colorado uh, social media accounts run by Deion Sanders' son, Deion Sanders Jr. He runs Well Off Media, which isn't technically affiliated with Colorado, but they basically do everything Colorado football related. They had a few hints that Cormani McLean was on campus on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Finally, on Sunday, Cormani McLean posts his own pictures of being on campus with coach prime fast forward. Nothing happens Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, but you start to hear continued buzz. Even Miami's own commits and signees are saying, I've been able to get in touch with Cormani. He's doing his own thing. We don't know if he's coming with us. And then on Thursday night, it becomes official as Cormani McLean is officially a Colorado Buffalo Again, I guess it's not technically official. He can't sign a letter of intent here until February. I don't see him flipping again. I think he is officially a Colorado Buffalo. So let's get into it. And first of all, you know, listen, I'm far from a recruiting evaluator or expert, but this kid's upside is through the roof. Okay. He's about 6'2", 6'3", uh, super athletic, super long. I think the cool thing is he is going to go into a program. Now, listen, I, I don't think he's a finished product. I don't think he's day one, you know, complete game changer. Uh, and I, I think he's got some work to do, but he's a really talented prospect, an insane corner prospect. And so from his perspective, listen, it would have been cool to see him at Miami playing for the GOAT or playing at Alabama playing for the GOAT Nick Saban. It would have been cool to see him at Miami playing for uh, a school not far from where he grew up, even though he technically grew up more in Central Florida, Gator country. I believe he went to the same high school as the Pouncey Twins. 
But at the same time, I think for the player's perspective, as talented as he is, I just can't think of a better scenario than going to play for the GOAT at your position. Now, Nick Saban's the GOAT coach, but Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, is the GOAT quarterback. And so for a young player, a talented player, who still has a lot to learn at the position, I I can't think of a better scenario than going to play for the greatest to ever do it at your position. I would add on top of that, I think it'll be good for him to get around that Colorado culture with some of the players that Coach Prime is bringing with him from Jackson State. Shador Sanders, Shiloh Sanders, Coach Prime's two sons, uh, Travis Hunter, who seems mature beyond his years. Listen, again, not a recruiting expert, but if you follow this stuff, my understanding, not criticizing, just a reality. Cormani's mom may be a little bit to deal with. My understanding is that, um, you know, she didn't really let him do interviews during his high school career. She was doing kind of a, uh, you know, a documentary on him and his recruitment. And so I bring it up because it's kind of that middle ground of having Coach Prime to kind of, you know, one, coach him, two, kind of be the disciplinarian where need be, but three, if you do care about your brand, if you do care about your whatever, um, I can't think of a better coach that you want to play for, right? Because think about it. The one thing you can't deny about Coach Prime, and I love this about him, is that he he has found the balance between letting his players be themselves, but also implementing discipline within the program. And so what do I mean by that? Remember when Travis Hunter committed to Colorado, the, the, the former five-star who had been committed to Florida State goes with Coach Prime to Jackson State. If you remember, Travis Hunter entered the transfer portal and he said, here's the deal. When my YouTube channel gets to 100K, I will announce my decision on the YouTube channel. And so even in announcing that he is just following Coach Prime to Colorado, Coach Prime gave him the leeway to do it his way, build his brand, make a little bit of money on a legitimate level with NIL. And so Cormani McLean, if he is trying to, you know, create a brand for himself, I can't think of a better coach to do it for all while getting developed, getting coached at the highest level by Coach Prime. Now, in terms of Colorado, what I would say is this. Let's move off of Cormani McLean because to me, this continues the incredible rebuild of Colorado under Coach Prime. And we all remember that opening day press conference, that opening day meeting with the team where he says, yeah, I got luggage. I'm bringing my old luggage and it's Louie. Well, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, and if you haven't, I get it. It's a busy time of year. Coach Prime is backing it up. So far, he's taken about 22, 23 transfers to Colorado. And these are high, 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 high level kids. Uh, Obviously, Travis Hunter, former number one ranked player, five-star, played corner and wide receiver at Jackson State. He is going to be a difference maker, X-factor from day one. Shador Sanders, 40 touchdown passes at Jackson State. I know it's a step up, but this was a guy that was recruited by Power Fives, was recruited by FBS schools. I believe he's going to have a ton of success at Colorado. By the way, I've had a few people mention this to me. Torres, why don't you talk about Shiloh Sanders, Coach Prime's oldest son, who plays safety for him at Jackson State. Started his career at at, uh, South Carolina, excuse me. So he is an FBS Power 5 SEC caliber player who's now going to be starting at safety. And for people who, who, again, haven't followed the day-to-day, they have really cleaned up in the portal. 
Cavassier Smoke, many of you Kentucky fans know him. Running back, had a couple really solid years for Kentucky, six, seven, eight hundred yard seasons at Kentucky. Um, you know, Miles Slusher, a safety who started at Arkansas, Jordan Dominic, a defensive end who started at Arkansas, um, Savion Washington, an offensive tackle from Kent State, who was really good. And those are only the transfer players that are coming into the program. Should mention, by the way, a couple other um you know, a couple other, uh, you know, difference makers from Jackson State, a couple Mc, uh, McDonald's, a couple, I almost said McDonald's All-Americans, a couple FCS All-Americans from Jackson State. And Coach Prime in a short time is kind of cleaning up in high school as well. Cormani McLean's obviously the highest profile guy, but at the same time, they also added high four-star Dylan Edwards, who had been committed to Notre Dame. They added a Marion Miller, four-star wide receiver, who had been committed to Nebraska. So just think about the names I'm telling you. Travis Hunter, former five star, Shador Sanders, F, you know, power five offers. Shiloh Sanders played at the power five level. Uh, you know, Jordan Dominic, what do you have? Nine and a half tackles for loss this year. I could go on and on. Now you're adding difference makers in the freshman class. I'm just telling you, this thing's going to be really interesting really soon, which brings me to two final thoughts. One, this kind of Colorado is going to be good next year. Like, like they're not going to be. 11 and one national championship, make the four team college football playoff good. But I'll tell you this for all these people. And I see some that are like, oh, they're a four and eight team. Well, I'll take the over on four and eight. If you gave me eight and four, I don't know that I'd take the over. But the bottom line is this is a really talented team. And I don't think people fully appreciate the level of talent that coach prime has brought into the program. Now, again, to win at the highest level, I'm not saying they're beating USC and Oregon next year, let alone Alabama and Georgia to compete for a national championship. But when you talk about a team that was one and 11, maybe the least talented roster in college football, power five level anyway, and now you're bringing in all this talent. This to me feels like a team that's going to be pretty good. And I believe in coach prime and his ability to build and mold young men. Watch the show on Amazon prime. Watch the show that Barstool did two years ago on Jackson State football. I'm just here to tell you, this isn't a gimmick. This isn't a joke. This guy coached at the high school level. He obviously played at the NFL level. He had two sons that were recruited at the highest level. This isn't some guy that just played in the NFL. This is a guy who's done it at every level. In many ways, it reminds me of Penny Hardaway in, in, in college basketball. Penny coached at the middle school level, the high school level, the AAU level. He knew how the system was before he got to Memphis. And you can criticize Penny Hardaway, but they're probably going to make their second straight NCAA tournament. You know, Jawan Howard's another one. Had sons that were recruited at the highest level. Learned the recruiting game. Learned the high school game. Learned the AAU game. Now he's coming off back-to-back Sweet 16s in his first two years that he is tournament eligible as a head coach. The first year, of course, there was no tournament because of COVID. So I could go on and on. Coach Prime is going to have success at this school. And I'll just wrap by saying, this is why I have been on this show since September saying any school that passes on Coach Prime is going to regret it. The first segment that I did this year, I vividly remember, it was after Auburn lost to Penn State in week three of the college football season. I said, look, Auburn, it's clear Brian Harson isn't the guy. You aren't getting any better. Sorry, these are the facts. This is reality. Go get Coach Prime. Now, listen, I think Hugh Freeze is going to be really good at, at Colorado. So that's not a crit or at, at Auburn. I'm all over the place right now. Forgive me. 
I think Hugh Freeze is going to be really good at Auburn. He has already been really good at Auburn. So it's not a criticism of Hugh Freeze. It's just the fact that it was only going to take one school to take a chance on Coach Prime, and it was Colorado. Some schools, maybe he wasn't the right fit. Maybe he wasn't the perfect fit here. Maybe Hugh Freeze made more sense for Auburn. But I'm just telling you, this guy is going to win and win big at Colorado. And oh, by the way, remember a couple things. Two years from now, in his second year at Colorado, remember a couple things. USC and UCLA are going to be gone from that conference. There's going to be a 12-team playoff. I'm not saying year two they make that 12-team playoff, but this guy is coming to Colorado to win, and he is going to have success. As Coach Prime says, as Deion Sanders says, we coming. Colorado arrives with Cormani McLean, the five-star recruit. All right, just want to do, take a quick break, and when I come back, we're going to switch gears to college hoops. UConn, total disaster. We're definitely talking about that. Uh, and speaking of disasters, how about SEC officiating as Arkansas, Missouri, 56 fouls. Talk college hoops, bring on Jamie and Christian. By the way, after being like one and a half drinks deep, I'm not going to lie, I thought that segment was pretty good. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,600 shops in the UK have come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Colorado Rockies, Denver Broncos. And what I love about working with Betfred, nobody does more for their customers than Betfred does. Okay, I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you. Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is rocking. They had a New Year's Eve into New Year's Day party for the launch of sports betting in the state of Ohio. Shout out to all of you who were there. Obviously, beyond that, there is the Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. We have sent listeners of this show to those tailgates. Colorado Rockies, first pitch at those games. Betfred does more for their customers than anybody, and here is what they are doing. For listeners of the Aaron Torres podcast, okay, it's what you got to do. Bet 50 on any game and new users. How about this? Get up to a thousand dollars in free bets. There are no catches. There are no gimmicks. Here's what you need to know. Bet 50 on any game. You get automatically $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get $200 insurance on your first five weeks as a Betfred customer. So you decided, hey, I'm going to bet this big game, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. You end up losing it. They're going to insure you for that game. So up to five weeks, up to $200, plus $111 for signing up for Betfred today. You're going to want to do it. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Tell them Torres sent you. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, the Betfred Sportsbook. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. Hi, back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears, and I, and I want to talk a little college hoops. Now, I know it's Friday, and it was a busy Thursday slate, but there were really two results from the Wednesday slate that I think are worth discussing in depth here. Uh, the first one. My UConn Huskies, it is not good. They have now lost three in a row, five of six. Um, I think it's not inconceivable that they could be unranked next week, which was inconceivable as of just a few weeks ago, so we'll talk about that. Also, the Arkansas-Missouri game, it was an abomination of epic proportions. Missouri wins. Credit to Missouri. This isn't about them. It is about the SEC referees. 56 total fouls called and a... Uh, you know, a statement from the league, basically admitting they got a crucial call in that game wrong. But let's start with UConn. Let's start with Wednesday night. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting, me being who I am in my shoes. I think most people listening to this show know I'm from Connecticut, went to UConn. And so when something good happens with UConn, um, you know, the DMs are flowing and everybody tags me and, hey, Torres, your football team is actually pretty good this year and you're going to a bowl game. Congratulations. Oh, your basketball team started out really well. Good for the Huskies. Like, like happy to see your squad doing well. There is just one problem, though. When things go bad, I am also the first person to hear it, especially, by the way, when I was one of many people touting the Huskies to start the season. I, I, I did a little Instagram rant after Wednesday night's game, but listen, I was not the only one that was saying that UConn was the best team in the country probably in early to mid-December. I wasn't the only one that was saying that UConn at the time had no conceivable weakness. So if I'm going to take the victory laps, then I got to take the L's because UConn, as I just said, has now lost five of six and three in a row. And here is the concerning part. If you're a UConn fan, and I did talk about it a little bit on Monday's show, but we'll do a deeper dive here. It is that this was supposed to be the easy part of the schedule. Okay. Nobody could have known it at the time. But the front end of the schedule was actually very tough. UConn's first three losses in league play were at Xavier, at Providence, at Marquette, all right now ranked in the top 25. And so those three teams were better than I think most people realized when UConn played them. The problem was after you lose at Marquette middle of last week, the thing is you look at the schedule and say, okay, this is where things lighten up a little bit. And following last week, UConn had a stretch of five of six games where they were not playing teams that were projected to make the NCAA tournament. And so the fact that UConn lost at home to St. John's on Sunday, the fact that UConn then went on the road Wednesday and blew a 17-point lead at Seton Hall, I got a lot of DMs, a lot of questions saying, Torres, what is wrong with your Huskies? And so I do think it's worth a deep dive, and I should mention a couple things. One, it is worth noting, Dan Hurley was not on the sidelines on Wednesday night at Seton Hall, COVID positive, all that good stuff. Don't think that's an excuse to blow a 17-point lead. And also, I think many of you probably did see my Instagram rant as well, where I kind of went off a little bit on Wednesday night. But let's take a deep dive on UConn, because again, I probably got four or five DMs. Torres, what's wrong with your squad? I thought they were really good. And so what I would say, I think the most frustrating part for UConn fans right now 
is I don't think that there is really one thing that you can hang your hat on to say, if this gets fixed, we'll be okay. Right. Like, like, you know, I, I even go to Arkansas, right? I think Arkansas fans feel like if we ever get Nick Smith back, we'll be okay. I think there are other teams that say, Hey, we have this weakness right now, but if it gets fixed, it'll be okay. Kentucky fans, you wanted to see the lineup change. The lineup gets changed. I think most people feel like, okay, Kentucky's probably in a good position going forward. Tennessee fans right now, we want to get healthy. Um, if we get healthy, we're, we're, we think we can go on a real run here and have a special season. With UConn, it's a little bit of something different every night. Sunday against St. John's, they gave up 53% shooting from the field. Unacceptable at any level, um, but especially against a team like St. John's that isn't projected to make the tournament. Um, you know, Marquette, it was the same. Kind of too many easy layups at the basket. Um, other losses or other things, you know, Creighton, even though they won, they got out rebounded. So I think that's part of the problem is there isn't just this one thing to fix this one thing to get in the film room, this one lineup adjustment to make that to me is part of the frustration with UConn. But really when I look at the problem, this is what I would say about UConn. And this is what I find fascinating. And this isn't an easy thing for me to say. Because I'm going to have to criticize people for doing a commendable thing. And what I would say about UConn right now, kind of like Kentucky about a week ago, I think UConn has a little bit of a loyalty problem in that program uh, where I think, much like Kentucky, the coaching staff wants to be loyal to certain people and it's at the detriment of this team. And so a couple things. One, loyalty is a great thing, okay? Uh, loyalty is good. You want it in your your marriage, your relationship with your your you know you want your your boss, whoever. Loyalty is a great thing, but in sports, loyalty can hurt your team. Loyalty can cost you a season, and in extreme cases, not this one. It can even cost you your job. We've seen coaches stay loyal to the wrong quarterback. We've seen coaches stay loyal to the wrong players, and it cost them their job. That's not what I'm saying is happening at UConn. But when I look at UConn, there is. One thing that strikes stands out to me, they play too many guys. That is, if, if I had one complaint about UConn, it is that we are now in the middle to the end of January. We're on the back end of January. We're like five weeks from Selection Sunday. They're still playing nine guys regularly. They have 10 guys who average at least 15 minutes. One guy is out with an injury. And I think that's the biggest problem. You look across college basketball, most of the best coaches, they keep a pretty tight rotation. Remember, Jay Wright, when Jay Wright retired, um, part of the Jay Wright was, and I think this was part of the reason he retired. He was the master at the red shirt. He was the master at, you're not going to play, but you're going to sit out and develop this year. Dante DiVincenzo, first round pick. Eric Pascal, first round pick. These were guys that red shirted because Jay, Jay Wright's like, look, we got seven guys in front of you. You're not going to play. Sit out, get better, all that good stuff. Mark Few very famously plays a very tight rotation, usually six to seven guys. Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. I'm not saying Tommy Lloyd is some, some college football, college basketball mastermind. We'll find out if he is. John Calipari historically has played seven guys. Eric Musselman has played seven guys. UConn is currently playing nine players. And what I think has happened in that program is pretty straightforward. They brought in a couple guys, specifically through the transfer portal, that I think they thought were going to be able to give more to them that just aren't. I hate to be a jerk. I hate to name names, but this is the NIL world. My guess is that everybody on that roster is making a little something in NIL. So when you're making something, you got to produce. And right now, there are players on the back end of that bench, high major transfers, 
that are not producing at the level. And I think there are some younger players that need to play more or some players that you weren't expecting to play more. Let me give you an example. UConn has a kid on the roster. I've talked about him before. His name is Joey Calcaterra, okay? Joey Calcaterra is a transfer from San Diego, the University of San Diego, not even San Diego State. He comes to UConn. They start calling him Joey California. He's this kid with blonde hair. He looks straight like he came straight off the beach. Why I bring it up, when he came to UConn, I think it was kind of this cute, he'll be the eighth, ninth man, he'll wave a towel, whatever. This dude's a baller. This dude's a playmaker. And he needs to play more because when he is in the game, good things happen. He's a good shooter. He's a good passer. The ball doesn't stick. He makes plays. And I think there's this weird thing of like, it's no longer just a cute thing that he is this guy that they have on the roster. This is a guy that needs to be playing for UConn. I'll take it a step further. Andre Jackson, their best player right now is playing 28 minutes per game, 28 minutes per game. And despite it, he's averaging six and a half points, uh, six and a half assists per game or six and a half rebounds per game, four and a half assists, one and a half steals. Their best player, maybe their best playmaker, the guy where they operate the best with the ball in their hands is playing 28 minutes a game, okay? For fun, I looked it up. Drew Timmy plays 33 minutes a game for Gonzaga. Jalen Wilson, who I think you could argue is probably number two or number three in the National Player of the Year race at Kansas, plays 35 minutes a game. And so just think about UConn, your best playmaker, your best ball handler, seven minutes per game. He is off the court when other teams' best players are on. And I'm not saying UConn has played Kansas or played um, whoever I just mentioned before that, Gonzaga. They haven't. But the point remains, you want your best players playing more minutes. On top of that, I think there's a little bit of an interesting thing going on in the front court. Adama Sonogo, veteran player. He's kind of UConn's Oscar Shibwe. He is great against certain lineups. But against big, athletic, long, lengthy teams that can bother him at the rim, he does struggle at times. By the way, UConn has a freshman named Donovan Klingon, who early in the year was like, oh, it's cool. This guy's a freshman. He's from Connecticut. It's happy. He's happy to be there. No, at some point in certain games, in certain moments, he's the better answer. And again, I think the loyalty issue comes in. I think the guys at the back end of the bench that were, let me put it this way. I think some of the guys off the bench were expecting to play more and expected to play more. And I think the coaching staff feels a responsibility to play them. One, because they were probably, you know, being promised feels bad. I don't want to say they were quote unquote promised anything, but at the same time, my guess is that they were sold. Hey, this is going to be your role. This is what you're going to be doing when you come here. And those guys aren't delivering right now. And other guys are same with Donovan Klingon. He's no longer a freshman at this point in college basketball. He's played two thirds of a college basketball season. He's ready to go right now. You got to play him, especially against certain opponents because he changes games offensively and defensively. And so to me, that is the single biggest problem with UConn. If I could diagnose one thing, this is what I would do. I would cut the rotation by two guys. I would play Andre Jackson more. I would play Joey Calcaterra more. I would play Donovan Klingon more. And the two guys back end of the bench, high major transfers, you probably don't need to play them. And I know it's tough, but this is big boy college basketball. By the way, I'm going to talk about this with Jamie and Christian in a minute because I'm curious for his thoughts. Finally, on UConn, lastly, I would just say, and I can't believe I'm saying this about a Dan Hurley team. I think part of it is up here, and that's not a criticism of Coach Hurley. That's just a reality of this group of guys. Because the one thing about Dan Hurley teams is you know that they're going to fight and they're going to claw and they're not going to they're not going to back down. And this team is almost the opposite. When things go well, there is no team that's better. Seventeen point lead against Seton Hall. They went on a fourteen zero run against Marquette. 
Just one problem. When this team falls behind or when one guy starts to struggle, they all do. That is the thing that stands out to me when I watch this team. When things go bad, there's nobody in anybody else's face. There's nobody, and yelling isn't a bad thing always, but there needs to be more accountability. I think accountability might not be the perfect word. There needs to be more player on player. Like They just need more. That to me is the biggest thing. No fight, no confidence when things go bad. And the crazy part is who your coach is, right? And it's crazy because I, I was thinking about this, is I think you could argue this is year five for Dan Hurley. This is by far his most talented team. I think you can argue this team has the least mental toughness of all of them. I go back to some of those early Dan Hurley teams at UConn. They were not nearly as talented, but man, if you got them in a corner, they're going to fight their way out. That's not this UConn team. Good news is there is time to figure things out, but I don't think there's any givens on this schedule going forward. You get Butler at home on Saturday, you better take care of business there. But, you know, even a DePaul just beat Xavier at home. Uh, Xavier's good. Marquette's good. Providence is good. You got to go through the back half of the schedule. Creighton is improved. It's going to be an interesting back half. Don't know what to say. But that is my diagnosis of UConn basketball. I can save you the 1999 subscription or whatever it costs to hop on the message board. That's what's going on there. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Really quickly, I do want to get to, um, you know, another game from Wednesday night and it was the Arkansas-Missouri game. Okay. And I think it was a really interesting matchup. Arkansas, like UConn is reeling. Arkansas, like UConn was, was very good in November into December. Unlike UConn, Arkansas actually has some injury problems. That's the other thing about UConn. They can't blame it on, well, if we just had this guy. They got everybody basically at full strength, at least since the beginning of the season. So back to Arkansas, Missouri, but they played on Wednesday night, and it was a really big SEC game. Arkansas came into the game at 1-4 in SEC play, three straight losses. Uh, Missouri came in at 2-3, and three, three straight losses in SEC play as well. And so I bring it up. Because it was a important game for both teams, big game, SEC network. I think everybody is excited about it. Just one problem. One, credit to Missouri. They pulled out the win. But that is not the story of the game unless you are a diehard Missouri fan. The story of the game for the rest of us watching is that for yet another marquee, major, big-time SEC game, the referees absolutely hijacked that thing. I thought they ruined the viewing experience. And what I would say is this. They made one call so bad late that the SEC office had to actually step in and issue an apology. It was a bad night for the SEC, and I hate to say it. I think it continues a very disturbing trend 
for this league in basketball in their big games where the referees are letting down the fans. And so let's get into it because Missouri does win by three. Um, I don't want to call it a fun game. It wasn't a fun game. It was tough to watch. But the one thing I want to make clear before we get into the referee stuff is I want to make sure to let everybody know. I'm not saying that the refs cost Arkansas the game, okay? Missouri wins 79-76. I'm not saying the refs cost Arkansas the game. Now, in a way, they sort of did. But I want to give credit to Missouri. Dennis Gates has done an incredible job in a short amount of time. They're building, you know, not only toughness in his team, but, uh, you know, great environment and excitement about that team and that fan base. So I want to credit Missouri for everything that they have already done this season. Missouri was the deserving team. The problem was whether Missouri was deserving or not is independent of the fact that, like, the game was just taken over by the refs early and nobody was ever gained, was never able to gain control, okay? So here are some stats about this game on Wednesday night at Missouri. And keep in mind, some Arkansas fans are listening, maybe a few Missouri fans. Some of you are not, uh, not fans of either team. But let me ask you a simple question. If you didn't watch this game, I'm going to throw some stats at you, and I want to know what you think when I have to say this. In this game, there were 56 total fouls called okay 56 total fouls called in a 40-minute basketball game this didn't go triple overtime and i understand there were two or three late whatever 56 total fouls called there were in total 33 on arkansas 23 on missouri three different arkansas four different arkansas players excuse me fouled out one finished with four fouls two finished with three so Arkansas's top seven players all finished with at least three fouls, four total fouled out. And how about this? There were 65 total free throws in a 40-minute regulation basketball game, 40 of which were by Missouri. That is not good, and here is the bigger issue. There was one play that I don't want to say absolutely definitively cost Arkansas the game. But it certainly didn't help, and it was really bad. And the SEC, as I said, had to issue an apology for something that they just completely missed and is inexcusable, okay? So with about a minute to go, it's a tie game. Again, not saying the refs are the reason that Missouri won, Missouri won or Arkansas lost. But late in the game, Arkansas guard Devo Davis drives into the lane trying to get a foul call. He is called for a charge, maybe a little bit out of control, but reviews and you know like like we saw on video review that the player for Missouri his feet were in the restricted area his feet were in the restricted area and by rule that has to be called a defensive foul if your feet are inside a certain length from the basket that has to be called a defensive foul the reason being college basketball doesn't want guys taking charges right under the basket because that is unsafe so the referees missed it on the floor. They they went to the league office. The league office said, you can't review that. And it was called a charge on the floor. Cost Devo Davis the game. Obviously, Missouri from there takes control. They end up winning. But why I bring it up is because on Thursday morning, the SEC acknowledged that they missed that call in that game. Crucial game, under a minute to go. Star player for Arkansas, one of their two or three most important players, Charge call that should have been by rule a block that could have been reviewed that wasn't. Here's what the SEC put out on Thursday afternoon. 
This is a statement from the SEC. With 43.7 seconds remaining in the second half of the Arkansas at Missouri men's basketball game on January 18th, the officials called a player control foul, that's a charge, against an Arkansas player that came into contact with a Missouri defender who was inside the restricted area arc. By rule, the location of the player in relation to the restricted area is reviewable in the last two minutes of the contest. When the on when the officials on site went to review the play, the video replay center incorrectly communicated to them that the play was not reviewable. Therefore, the play stood as called on the floor. That is the official statement from the league. So the league office, this is what they just acknowledged now. This is not my words. This is not my opinion. This is what the league office just acknowledged. They acknowledged that there was a call on the floor that was wrong, that the referees on the floor knew they were wrong, went to the league office. The league office said, sorry, even though you blew that one, you can't review it. It is not a reviewable play. You know, sent that back to the officials on site and the play is called off incorrectly. And the league office who's sitting in a, you know, in an ivory tower, they're doing nothing. Listen, we can blame the refs or whatever. They're in the heat of the moment. There's 15,000 people looking at them. The people in the league office who were supposed to know the rule had no idea. I'm not saying it cost Arkansas the game, but it kind of sort of crossed Arkansas the game. Here's the crazy part too. You can sit here and say, and I'm sure some of you are driving around like, why is Torres so fired up about this? Here's why. There's a couple of reasons why. One, I think you could sit there and say, well, you know, I mean, come on. There's a million rules in the rule book. Guys are going to miss it. Okay. First of all, you're paid not to miss it. Second of all, the league office is really paid to make sure they know the rule book. But here's the other reason. Here's the other reason why you should have never missed that call. Because if you are a diehard college basketball fan, you probably know this rule. You probably know that if your feet are within a certain range of the basket, the restricted arc, if the defender's feet are inside the restricted arc, that has to be called a block. And not only does it have to be called a block, but it can be overturned on video review. How do I know that? It is because three years ago, there was a very controversial play in a very high profile game where this exact same thing happened. 2019, Duke Blue Devils, Zion Williamson. Do you remember that name? Duke was the number one team in the country. They're steamrolling everybody. They go to Louisville, I believe, on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. Louisville probably plays the best game they play under Chris Mack the entire time he's there. They're up 23 points at one point. They rally. They being Duke. Duke rallies. They get back into it late in the game. Cam Reddish drives, attacks the basket, gets called for a charge. Just one problem. Ryan McMahon, remember that name, Louisville fans, his feet were within the arc. They go to video replay and they overturn it. And I remember this play because I remember talking about it on this podcast. I think it was the first year I had this podcast. I said, I've never heard of being able to over review, overrule a charge block call on review. Of course, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in favor of Duke. But Duke won a game because a charge was called a block because the guy's foot was in the restricted area. So the fact that I'm the only one that remembers that, isn't that the official's job? That's the official's job to get it right. And if they can't get it right on the floor, it's the league office's job to know that, hey, these guys screwed it up, but we can overturn this. Just let them know. They can go to video replay. They can overturn this. They can make the right call. They didn't, and Arkansas ends up losing. And so to me, one, this is completely inexcusable. But two, beyond that, 
beyond that, this is a crisis for the SEC right now. Let me explain why. Listen, I watch all these leagues. I watch all these games. I watch as much as I can. I can tell you that fundamentally, games in the SEC are called differently than other leagues. And I think it's hurting the product on the floor in the SEC. This isn't just my opinion, by the way. It's a fact. I went back and looked it up. Arkansas, Alabama, last week, top 15 matchup, two big teams, two big brands. 45 fouls called in that game. 45 fouls in a 40-minute basketball game. And oh, by the way, there were 11 more called in Arkansas, Missouri. You can't say that's all how Arkansas plays or how Missouri plays or how Alabama plays. That's too many foul calls in a 40-minute game. On top of that, if you say, oh, well, it's just Arkansas, every game is like that. Tennessee, Kentucky on Saturday, 43 foul calls in a 40-minute game. Those are three of the most high-profile games where you had 43-plus foul calls in a 40-minute basketball game in three super high-profile games. You can't have that. It has to be better. And I'm telling you, you watch other leagues. Games aren't called like this. Just for fun, I went back and looked it up. So Marquette played Xavier on Sunday. It was a great game. It was during one of the NFL playoff games. I think the Bills-Dolphins. I don't know how many people were paying attention. But for fun, I decided to say, you know what? Let me see how many fouls were called. Because I'm curious. Because it feels like the Big East, they can get away with some stuff that you can in the SEC. Went back and looked it up. In that game, there were a total of 30 fouls called. Now, would I like to see a few less? Maybe. But the bottom line remains, 30 fouls in a 40-minute game is a lot different than even 43 let alone 56. Xavier UConn earlier in the year. UConn, big, physical, tough. We just talked about UConn. 30 fouls called in that game. And so to me, let me wrap by saying this. I want to get to Jamie and Christian. What I will say is pretty straightforward. Part of what I do on this show, I I talk about whatever the big topic of the day is, okay? And there are often times that I like to come on here and have an answer to a tough question. Okay, um, Auburn fires its football coach. What should they do? UConn is struggling right now. What do they need to do? But there are some times that I come on this show and I say, I don't have an answer, but something's clearly got to change, right? I don't always have to have the answer, but sometimes it's obvious something has to change. I'll give you an example. Los Angeles Chargers. I don't know if they can get Sean Payton, but what I do know is Brandon Staley's not the answer and bringing him back for another year, all you're doing is wasting a year of Justin Herbert's prime. Don't know what the solution is, but I do know the solution isn't to bring back Brandon Staley for another year. And that's why I bring it up with the SEC basketball. I don't have all of the answers. I'm not Greg Sankey. I'm not paid millions of dollars a year to have every answer going in college sports. But what I do know is I know a problem when I see it. I don't have to know how to fix mold in the ceiling to know that we got freaking mold in the ceiling. And right now we got mold in the SEC offices because this refereeing thing has to be better. It's crazy to me, this incredible product. The SEC is the front runner in college sports in everything. College football, college baseball, Olympic sports, non-revenue sports, gymnastics. All I see is these Friday night lights previews for all these big gymnastics meet in the SEC that are going to draw 10,000 people. But they can't figure out the refereeing in basketball, a you know multi-hundred million dollar product, SEC sports. They can't figure out the refereeing. It's got to be better. I don't need an answer. But what I do know is it's got to be fixed. All right, so what I'm going to do, I want to take a quick break. When I come back, uh, we are going to bring on Jamie and Christian. Jamie is uh, not only a good friend of mine, but 
He is a 10-year Division I college basketball head coach, led Mount St. Mary's to the NCAA tournament twice in his career, has also been the head coach at Siena, and has also been the head coach at George Washington, uh, was an assistant on VCU's Final Four team in 2011, and he's going to join me next. He's going to be part of this show going forward. He'll join me once every couple weeks. We'll talk about what's going on in college basketball. He's got some very interesting things. We're going to talk about some of that UConn stuff. How do you handle a situation where uh, loyalty is a lot to talk about? We're going to take a quick break. Going to discuss it all. We will be right back. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, joining me via Zoom. Uh, so, tell you what, I've been hyping this guy up a lot. He uh, is a 10-year... Division one college basketball head coach, Mount St. Mary's, Siena, and George Washington has led two teams to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and he's working with, with us at Aaron Torres Media here for the rest of the season. Already done some writing, has appeared on the College Hoops Daily Pod with Zach Kroll. First appearance with me, but uh, as I said, 10-year college head coach, a buddy of mine. You know, I've enjoyed working with you so far. Hopefully I'm not too much of a, a, a pushy boss on you, but Jamie and Christian, man, how you doing? I'm feeling great, man. I'm excited to have a chance to work with you and to contribute on your on your platform, and and uh, hopefully I can give some insight to our audience. All right, very good. So, for, first of all, let me ask you. Um, we did just get late breaking news, and um, you know, it's one I I don't know that I have a super strong opinion on, but but we did just find out Mike Bray uh, is going to step aside at Notre Dame at the end of the year. I mean, I think you know, really good coach. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know that he's like an all time or anything, but you know, really good coach. He's if you love college basketball, he's basically been part of the fabric of college basketball, you know, for for as long as many of us have been watching. So, I mean, I think the last couple of years, um, you know, we've seen not only the Coach K's and the Roy Williams step away, but the Lon Krugers, the you know, a couple other guys that have been around just for a really long time. So, um, he is a a DC Maryland area guy. As I just said, you coached at GW. He actually is in the, he being Mike Bray is in the GW Hall of Fame. Uh, what are your interactions with Coach Bray? Have you got a chance to know him? Um, and then just your thoughts on general, because this does feel like kind of an interesting kind of college hoops note. Well, you know, Mike Bray, number one, is the person he comes off to in the media. That's who he is. Sure. And, and you know, it, you, very few, as you probably know, very few people do you meet that are the same person. Um, in front of the cameras, they are behind it. But Mike Bray has always been that way. I think people have so much respect for him because the job that he's been able to do in a place like Notre Dame, typically a basketball centric, I mean, a football centric place. They love football, national championship level football team every year. Um, haven't always seemed to have a great love and appreciation for basketball. Mike Bray really came in and changed that. You know, they really had a regime change where basketball is really appreciated there. You know, over his 20 plus years, you saw a transition from Notre Dame basketball that's really unique that you don't get a chance to see everywhere. So you just have a lot of respect for him, you know, to step into a situation where you've got to prove yourself year in and year out just to be relevant in your own town is really special. And he's been able to do that. They transitioned to the ACC. They immediately are one of the best teams in the ACC. The way that he treats his players, the way that he interacts, it's really special. I mean, for me, this is a sad day in college basketball 
because he's one of those people that always stood up for the right things. Yeah. Uh, never shied away from, from saying what was needed to be said. Um, Mike Bray's going to have a great retirement. I'm sure I'll see him at Dewey beach. Um, but again, I just have a lot of respect for what he's been able to do in the game and really thankful for his existence. Yeah, that's one thing that I, I don't really have much of a relationship with him, to be honest, but that's one thing I've noticed from afar is that as these big kind of sweeping changes have happened in college sports over probably the last four or five years, you know, I think there's a, a generation of coaches probably a little closer to our age that, you know, either guys like guys our age that are more willing to adapt. But I think also there are times where where guys are, are I think, rightfully, I'm not criticizing anybody, but trying to protect themselves. They know that they're in this for the long haul. They got another 20 years and they, they, they don't really have a voice to share, you know, whereas you have guys like Tom Izzo, like John Calipari, like Bob Huggins, like Mike Bray. And Mike Bray was one that I noticed like he really um, spoke about, Hey, like we can do transfers, but here are the downsides that you might not be thinking about from the academics, from the coursework, from graduation rates. Hey, we can do NIL, but let's make sure we do it this way. Um, so again, I'm just kind of piggybacking off what you just said, Jamie, but a guy that, that, you know, I like guys when they get older and they just don't really care what people think about them or, or afraid to say how they really feel. And that's the vibe that I've gotten from him through the years. Yeah, and I would also add, you know, one thing that you're going to see, I think over the next, you know, five to 10 years, uh, the money, the money has really jumped to a level, you for know, sure. so guys now that have been coaching for 30 years, the last 15 years, they've made a lot, of, they've made a lot more money than guys in the past. You know, when you think about guys like Nolan Richardson, you look at some of the deals that they had early in their careers, and they're relatively lower on the money. And even John Thompson or Jim Beheim, they, were, they weren't making a ton of money. At one point, they're making more money off of their shoe deals shoe country, yeah. than they were off of their off of their contracts with their universities. But that's changed about, about 95, 96. That money started jumping and changing. So you're going to see guys as they get to 55, 60, I believe, just step away from it, go enjoy their lives, go and spend time with their families. Um, I certainly applaud them for being able to do that because um, really they've been able to push the money to a level where it's really a profitable business and a profitable spot for coaches where they can take care of their families for a long period of time. But let's flip that the other way too. Um, it's also a lot more work and a lot more responsibility yeah. and week to week, day to day. I mean, I remember having Bruce Pearl on this show in the summertime at one point, I think it was like June and it was the year they had Walker Kessler and he had just enrolled. I remember talking to him about Walker Kessler, but he basically said, he's like, April, May, June, you know, we'd go on the road a couple weekends a year, but for the most part, it was, you know, you get to spend time with your family. So even in your experience, I mean, even in the last 10 years since you've been a head coach, I mean, you were part of the 2011 Final Four team at VCU. Like, how much has the responsibility from head coaches changed? Because I think there's this thing where, you know, fans, I don't think one, they, I, they don't really care, right? You, you know, as you said, a, a high profile college basketball coach is being paid four, five, six, seven million dollars a year, whatever it is. But I don't think people understand like like how much more as a coach was on your plate the last two, three years when the season ends or even when the season begins that the fans don't see. I'm not talking about from from yeah. seven to nine PM when you take the floor. I'm taking I'm talking off the floor with re-recruit, you know, recruiting players, re-recruiting them, keeping an eye on the portal, all that kind of stuff. Well it's changed pretty dramatically. I mean I remember even when I first started out in coaching you know, you get to the final four um, and basically you, you would take you take off. The season would end if you didn't make it to the final four. Your season would end. You get to the final four, give your guys off a couple of weeks. They might go on spring break and then you'd come back. You work out for two weeks and then you'd allow your guys a couple of days off before exams. And then even if they came back for summer school, you had three or four weeks where you would release your staff, your families 
they would be able to to kind of go and and go on vacation, do whatever. But now that's a that's a huge time where you're doing all your recruiting for the transfer portal. And you have a small window to get them in. Transfer recruiting is so different if because the market and the transfer portal changes so quickly and people don't always do their homework. So you're doing your homework ahead of time. You've got to really have a great sense of urgency to get players on campus. So that three or four week window in between, you know, the, the, the three or four week window before two weeks before graduation to the two weeks after is gone now. And, and it's probably the most pivotal time. So everyone is diving deeply into that. And then when you add on to that top of that, Aaron, you add in, we now have recruiting in June, so you just start flowing right into it. When you look at the calendar now, there is there are no breaks for coaches. Um, women's basketball has done an amazing thing. They actually pulled out a couple periods through the year where they take one or two weeks off where there's no recruiting contacts, there's no recruiting events, but men's basketball has not adopted that. So we've basically created a 365-day, 24-hour-a-day recruiting cycle where you're constantly trying to get after it and gain an advantage. Very interesting. A changing world. And yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think that's why we even like a Jay Wright. I, and it was funny. I was just talking about this before, uh, which will transition nicely into what I want to ask you about some on the court stuff. But, you know, even like Jay Wright, you know, I think that played a huge role in why he decided to leave amongst many other reasons. And he was, you know, 59, 60 when he did it. And I think we all agree he probably could have kept doing it at a high level for a long time. You know, let's transition. I want to talk about some stuff on the court and I want to talk about a few teams from throughout the week. But where I want to start, Jamie and and this is why I love having your insight. So I just before you came on, I did a big rant about UConn. And I think everybody knows, you know, I went to UConn, all that, love the school. But I also think Coach Hurley's done an incredible job there. And I, I think, you know, it's the program's in a very good place, especially relative to where he took over, all that good stuff. But when you lose three in a row, when you lose five of six, and when you do it in a season when you started, I think, 14 and 0, 15 and 0, whatever it was. Um, you know, people start to ask questions, not only like of them, but of me. And, and, and one question I've gotten the last like week is, dude, what has happened to UConn? Explain to me what's going on, blah, 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 blah. And so one of my diagnoses among, uh, with UConn is, and I think you see this sometimes in college basketball and I want your input on it is I think coach Hurley has a little bit of a loyalty problem, right? And, and loyalty is good, um, in marriages and with bosses and with whoever, but I think in basketball, it hurts people, right? And so I'll use a quick example, but, you know, Kentucky was severe Wheeler. I think, you know, John Calipari wanted to be loyal to him. The advanced analytics said the team was probably, frankly, better with him off the court, not criticizing the player. It's what the numbers said. And then, of course, on Tuesday night, uh, he's limited. The team has success. And I think going forward, he's probably going to have to adjust to being a bench player. And so I bring it up because with UConn, one of the things that I believe has happened, and I, I have no sourcing on this, but I watched most of the games. I have a pretty good feel. They brought in a couple high-profile transfers, the, to what you just mentioned, um, and I think they expected them to maybe be players that they're not being right now, but that also there are players behind those guys who are playing better than the staff anticipated, and it feels like this weird thing where they're playing nine guys pretty regularly when it feels like there's about seven that should be the pretty consistent rotation. And so I guess my question for you is, as a coach, it doesn't have to be UConn, doesn't have to be Kentucky, doesn't have to be whoever. Um, how, how do you find that balance where, you know, promise is a, a, a dangerous word to use in recruiting, but, you know, you, you lay out a plan for a player. If you come in, this is going to how we anticipate you're going to be your role. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to help us. And then the guy gets there. He's not good enough. He's this, he's that. Somebody else emerges. 
I just laid a lot on your plate, Jamie. But like, what yeah. do you do in that situation? Because it just fe- that to me as an outsider, that feels like the biggest issue with UConn right now. Yeah. So I'll offer a quick take, and then I'll offer a longer take. Sure, please. Quick. The quick take is, you know, you had Hurley and and one of the assistant coaches out the other night with with uh, with COVID. So we don't know what that's been doing through the course of the team. It doesn't mean guys players have to have COVID. They may be vaccinated and may not be testing positive, but it doesn't mean that they're not sick in some way. So we don't know the full effects of that when you look at it, um, what that's been doing the last 14 days or so within their program. And 14 days in college basketball is like an eternity. Sure. So I start there with the short take. I think the the second part is they were off to such a great start to start the year. Um, and so as a coach, you're sitting in that chair, and a lot of things that you predicted when they came in, was definitely working, right? You felt great about the progress you were making, how competitive they're playing. They're one of the best teams in the nation then, and they're still one of the best teams in the nation now. So the things you're trying to evaluate, are these are these players not playing as well because we're now we're in the conference play and they're known a bit more? You know, one thing about a transfer coming into a new league, the other teams don't know them nearly as well. So they're going to maybe have a little bit of advantage at some point in that. The players that are on that roster that have played in that league, though, they have great experience of how to win in that league. And so sometimes within season, there's like multiple seasons going on of who's playing well. The other thing I'd offer is it's routine for players in the NBA to have 10 game stretches where they're playing poorly. Hmm. Right. You'll look and say, oh, you know, like Russell Westbrook started the year off playing so badly. That's routine when you really look at the numbers, you dive into the numbers. So as a college basketball coach, you're really trying to say, well, how far can I push this person until I have to make a change? And you really try to hold off from making a lot of quick changes because you, what you know is that when adversity strikes, that's when you get your biggest gains. So I'd much rather see a person who struggled three or four games figure it out in game five or six because I know that now I can get more out of them. I know I can stretch them a little bit further and they're going to have a lot more confidence. So you're constantly trying to balance that out. You know, when I again, when I look at UConn, we talked about this before. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a loyalty issue. I think it's about them being in league play teams no teams having more film on how to beat them and really attacking their weaknesses and as you start to attack players weaknesses they've got to learn how to transition that quickly during the course of the year and maybe they're just a little bit behind trying to figure out how to get ahead of that curve and teams are doing a great job defensively right now so a couple things on that one um i had somebody tell me this once i thought it was very interesting you actually know the guy i'll tell you his name off air i don't know if he wants his you know all his personal stuff out here but (laughs) He said to me, he he was coaching at the mid-major level at the time, and he said, um, our biggest issue, it's not what you think it is. He goes, the biggest issue that we have is the flu. He goes, you know, we travel commercial, we're flying on airplanes, and, you know, we might go six weeks where we don't have one guy that's 100%. So the COVID thing, I think, is totally fair. Um, you know, we don't have to get into a COVID conversation right now, but guys at less than 100% kind of from a, a, a physical perspective. The other thing that I want to mention, Earlier this week, you did a, a great piece on Aaron Torres Online. People can find it there about you know how to evaluate your team at this point. And one thing you brought up, I found this very interesting and I had never thought of it, the difference in league play versus non-league play. And you had a line in there where we watch these great tournaments in November. And not only do teams not know each other, but it's usually you're playing in the Maui Invitational. You have three games in three days. You finish at 10 p.m. You play at 7 p.m. PM the next day, that's 17, 18 hours for the other team to try and figure you out. Whereas league play, not only do teams know you better, 
But they also, you know, most of these leagues play on a Tuesday, Saturday, a, a Wednesday, Sunday. And it's really three or four days that they can really dive into you. I thought that was a really interesting point. And just in general, in your experience, how much tougher would you say league play is uh, just from a, 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 you know, kind of doing what you want to do and having success element to it? Well, I think it. I think it's number one, so it can be a positive. If you have that kind of success early in the year, it can be huge. It means that your team has a, a component that is hard to scout on a short amount of time. It could True. be your pace of play. It could be your size. It could be the offense that you run. It could be your style of defense. Um, and also it could be you have a really, really elite player that you have to have multiple days to guard. So I do think it can be a positive thing, but it's very different. You know, there. You know, I really prided myself when I was a head coach on our league record and how well we played. You know, most of the times you play teams multiple times, and in the best leagues you play the best schedule. So UConn was pretty good last year, so they're playing some of the best teams right now in the well, Big, Big East. Is a true double round robin, right? So everyone's playing. So so you're going to play each other twice, and I think that's valuable. Uh, an experienced head coach is going to set you up in the first game. So they can do other things in the mm -hmm. second game and kind of play this chess match over and over again. And if you're only if you only have a fastball, then you're going to get beaten by some of these experienced coaches. It, it looks like to me when I watch them play, you know, again, they play really big lineups and they're, they're really big, which I love. And I think as a coach in the tournament play, I'd be like, this could be really hard to adjust to. But when you're getting a chance to have three or four days, you've got a little bit more time to adjust schematically on how to attack that. And what you're seeing is a lot of guards being able to get into the lane and play play around and create other other opportunities. And you're seeing them not have the same ability to create because schematically they have two bigs. They're kind of roaming around in the paint. So I just think teams have adjusted to how to play against them and how to guard them. And I think that's a major factor. You give you give Shaka Smart, you give any of these guys three or four days, you know, a Sean Miller three or four days to scout you defensively, they're going to take away what you do best. And you've got to be able to stay ahead of the curve of what they're going to do to you. Again, two weeks in a college basketball season like a, is like a lifetime, and you can get punched in the mouth pretty quickly if you're not making those adjustments on the fly. So you just mentioned Shaka Smart. Um, you worked with Shaka for years at VCU, um, and it's you know I, I was a guy to be blunt. I was very critical of him at Texas. Um, and but you, got, you and every you and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so. well, and there was a win loss record that dictated yeah. my criticism, but I, I bring it up because. You know, listen, I, I've said this, you know, previous to this conversation, but you look at every head coach at Texas and, you know, Rick Barnes probably looks a little bit better at Tennessee post Texas. Um, you know, uh, Steve Sarkeesian has been up and down. Charlie Strong was never the same. So it might just be a Texas thing, but I was just curious, like, like Shaka now is rolling at Marquette. They win again on Wednesday night against Providence, and we don't really need to break it down. But I saw uh, John Fanta, guy I like. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but he really kind of did an article deep diving why Marquette is the right fit for Shaka. Um, you know, he can recruit, whatever. I would just ask you, like, one, if you have any thoughts on, on Coach Smart, Marquette, whatever. I know you have a personal relationship. You probably, I don't want you to dive too deep into that. But two, like you look at some of these these places, right? And and you know the, the the coaches that that fit where they're at. You know, Jerome Tang has the Kansas State fan base fired up. I'd argue as critical as I was, I think Dan Hurley is the right kind of coach for UConn. I think John Calipari is the right kind of coach for Kentucky. Eric Musselman, Arkansas, on and on. Just the idea of fit because you brought up Shaka, you know him well. They're rolling right now, um, and it just feels like he found the perfect spot for himself. Yeah, you know, and this is coming from a guy who 
took a job at George Washington where I just didn't fit, right? So I have personal experience about walking into a situation where on the outside, it looks like it's, everything's going to be perfect. And then you get there and you realize this is a really tough situation. I'm going to be a really tough rebuild. So I respect coaches when they take those kind of brash opportunities and and they try to take an opportunity like that. And sometimes it's just not going to work. And, you know, it just didn't fit there. You know, I went down and visited coach at Texas and and he was working incredibly hard and his staff's doing a great job. They're bringing in how many draft picks, how many lottery guys they have. And it just didn't work for whatever reason. And then I, and then I had a chance to visit him at Marquette and I'm like, this is amazing. You know, he's being appreciated for who he is. The guys are being appreciated and loved for how they play and the talent that they have. And um, the community really builds that team up and they support it. You know, when you walk around Milwaukee right there by Marquette, you can feel the energy that people feel about it. And coach really feeds off of that. And he's his very best when he can love and share and give all the stuff he's able to do. So you're seeing this all unfold in front of our eyes, right? He took over, you know, he's been there two years. He's now got a roster of, of players that really fit his personality. He's got guys that can really pressure the ball and he's got multiple uh, guys that can handle and move the ball defensively and, and switch. And it's just a great to watch as a basketball person, not just a person who knows coach. It's great to watch the basketball fan because when it really, the interesting thing is when it fits, it kind of just works as it's opposed to, but when it goes, it expands, you know, and when you get the right guy in there at the right time, it expands. And we're watching Marquette basketball expand back to the brand that it was in the early 2000s. Well, and that's, you know, you say expand, but, and that's something that I see when I watch them is, you know, you have guys that a month ago, they're they're playing significantly, be- and it's almost like the reverse of UConn. I think UConn right now is kind of mentally struggling with adversity. Of we were so great, what's wrong with us? Where you have a school like Marquette, where it's like every time I watch them, it's like a new guy is stepping up and and you know playing better and having more confidence. So that's really cool to see. Uh, a couple of just kind of quick things from across college basketball. I know on the College Hoops Daily with Zach, you talked a lot about the Kansas State game. You guys recorded shortly after that. Um, just your thoughts on Kansas State. They win at Kansas, or Kansas wins at Kansas State. But th- think that's a really cool story. Uh, Jerome Tang, I've only had a chance to talk with him once, but but a really energetic guy. I, I give him credit. He told me in the offseason, I expect to be an NCAA tournament team. You know, I kind of looked at him a little bit funny. Again, maybe maybe the theme of, of today's uh, show is I, I need to stop, uh, you know, I, I need to start listening to other people because he told me they were a tournament team in the preseason. I didn't see it. They beat Kansas the other night. It's electric. And I know you and Zach talked about this, but I loved afterward when he said, we get one, we get one court storm. And after that, we now expect to win these kind of games. So enjoy tonight. And now we expect to win these kind of games. Just your outside view on everything that he's done there and, and Kansas state, which I think is maybe the best story so far. Well, it's great to see a guy who's earned his right to be there and earned his yeah. right to have that opportunity um, we root for those people in our business. You know, I mean, we we write so much, we talk so much about the upstarts, the young guys like myself who kind of kind of move up the ranks really quickly. But I don't know if we talk enough about those who who are lifelong learners in this business who fight and claw their way to have that opportunity. So it's great to see that. Um, it's great to see him take his personality and put it onto an entire program and how that's affected the crowd. You know, first of all, Kansas state's a great basketball job. Traditionally, the, the amount of hall of famers that have been there that have worked there. Uh, If you don't know, look it up. It's a great job. It's a great environment for basketball. They love it. They always support it, but to get someone like Jerome Tang in there who really knows how to win games in the big 12, number one. um, So he didn't have a learning curve on learning how to, how to win and how to operate. He was there for that entire transition at Baylor. 
So he really has a great idea of what works and what doesn't work. But then and watch him as a leader, as aware as he is, the way he's able to communicate it. You can really see that his team, like him, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. But the chip on their shoulder isn't because they hate the other people, like he was saying. Yeah. It's about loving one another and being committed to the cause they have. I love that as I love that messaging because that messaging doesn't allow you to to uh, to not show up and be ready to play. Because if I love myself and I love my teammate more, I'm going to show up for them each night. If I'm only playing because I hate the opponent, well, my level of focus, toughness, comp- commitment is going to change depending on the opponent. I love how he's setting this program up. He's setting it up to be consistent and really good from a mindset standpoint. And then on the floor, by the way, they're really tough to stop. They play through their best two players, and that's a key to have an opportunity to play deep into March. So real quick, um, you know, you're from the D- the D.C. area. Keontae Johnson's from that area. Um, I, what do you make of – and this is something I don't know if I ever talked about on the show. I know I talked with Zach, our colleague, about this. is a very scary situation with Keontae Johnson. And, you know, Jerome Tang was – you know, flyer's not the right word – um, but it didn't feel like there, there was a lot of concerns and a, a lot of, I, I don't know. I, I, it's a really cool story. And I'm very happy that Keontae Johnson, if the doctors have cleared him and if the medical people say it's okay, um, I'm super glad that he is getting this opportunity to play. I think everybody knows, but this was the guy that unfortunately collapsed a few years ago at Florida was out for two years and Kansas state cleared him. Um, I think it's a really cool story. I'm very happy for him. I don't know if as a head coach, I would have had the guts to to make the move that Jerome Tang did, but what do you make of that whole element of it where their best player is a guy that we literally a year ago didn't know if he was ever going to play basketball again? Well, you know, a huge credit to his staff for doing their homework. You know, in the in the springtime, I was like sort of talking to all these different head coaches and they're calling and saying, well, what transfers do you really like? And I was on the phone saying, you got to take Keontae Johnson. They're saying, well, he had the, he has a medical thing. I was like, well, Get your doctor to check him out. I mean, you know, get your doctors to check him out. Get it cleared all the way up. I mean, he's a guy who's all SEC level player was going to be a was going to be a draftable player if not for the heart incident. It's worth making the phone calls and doing the work in Kansas State because of the work that they did. They're receiving the benefits of it. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting is like when you have a condition like that, when you do get cleared, it's hard to get cleared. Sure. So once you get cleared. In my mind, it's almost like you're healthier than before. Probably. You sort of know what the warning signs are. You know what to look for. You know, I'm sure he's getting regularly checked there at Kansas State. So I just love the fact that they did their work and they're being rewarded for it. Um, a tremendous player. You know, I remember like talking to people down here in the 757 in the springtime, and you know, he really didn't have a whole lot going on. I mean, mm. it was it was an era of confusion there because people didn't do their homework and they were just sort of going off what they read online instead of picking up the phone, doing the research that they have. So it's great that Kansas State's being rewarded for it. And it's great that Keontae Johnson gets a chance to finish and write his own story. And that's what we love about college basketball is watching these redemption stories. Keontae Johnson's living it. Last thing, this has been awesome. Um, I'm going to throw a super generic question at you. And the, the, sometimes I, I hate doing that. But, you know, this is your first year kind of sitting back. And, and we got another six, seven weeks to really break this all down. But what, what, like, just give me one or two things that has stood out to you to this point. It could be good or bad that, you know, when you're going through your day to day and you're like, oh, this team's playing or, oh, that guy's playing or, oh, I really like what that coach is doing there. Just give me one or two of those that you've seen so far this year. And Tennessee's ability to keep players on their roster and not be affected by the transfer portal at Mm -hmm. the same level everyone else has. You look at the SEC and the Big 12. 
they have a ton of transfers on that roster. Tennessee really doesn't. They've done an amazing job of keeping their players on the roster. Even guys that didn't play as freshmen and sophomores, they found a way to keep them as juniors and seniors. So you look at that team, they're really benefiting because they're older. They're older. They're tougher. They've been in that system before. You know, they're not going to have a learning curve with the SEC because those guys have been through it. Um, The second thing I would say is how UCLA is dominating and no one's noticing. Sure. Uh, I think UCLA is one of the more, more, one of the more talented teams. I love how, how Cronin coaches them. They always play really good defense, but unlike his Cincinnati teams, they play a lot more free on offense, which gives them a burst, which is scary. When you have a defensive minded head coach and players are able to play with burst on offense, that gives you something where a guy can go for 25, 27 in an NCAA tournament game and keep you moving on to the next round. I think UCLA is really, UCLA is really dangerous and I think we should be talking more about the job that Mick Cronin's done there. I should note it's Wednesday night when we're recording, Thursday night when we're recording. They do play tonight at Arizona State. Going to be a tough game. But I was texting you and Zach this thirteen-game winning streak going into this game tonight, and they might lose before people listen to this. But um, I don't know. I've ever seen a power conference team thirteen straight wins that nobody talks about. And I know with them in the preseason, I, you know they were one of my teams that I picked to make the Final Four in the preseason. I love how all those pieces fit. Um, and I can tell you too, as somebody who lives in LA, who kind of knows that staff really well, Cronin might have a certain exterior at some point, but the players love him and swear by him. And, um, you know, and I I think it kind of proves that you can be tough and, you know, I tell my wife this all the time, but like tough love is still love. And that's one thing that I noticed with him. I mean, I don't know if you remember, you were coaching at the time, but his first year, like he went into a press, he would just tear them to shreds in the press conferences, but he's another one. I, I, I could be wrong. I don't think they've had a single player transfer out since he's been there. Now, part of it's UCLA is a great school, great academics, a couple guys that left early for the pros, but I, he's done an incredible job there. So and, and I don't know if there's any last thoughts on that. So, yeah, I mean, when I look at it, I think he's always been a great coach. He's now at a, at a great university, a great spot, a blue blood in the history of the game. So when you put it all together, it, it's going to be really special. And what he's doing night in and night out with those players is special. So it's been fun to watch. Again, I think they're a team to look out for. Um, they're dangerous, and we got to start paying attention to them. All right, Jamie and Christian, uh, 10-year Division One head coach. Uh, yeah, you'll be joining. You'll, we'll be doing this on a pretty regular basis. Uh, follow him on Quish, on Twitter, at Jamie and Christian. Uh, weekly appearances on the College Hoops Daily. You'll be with me once every two weeks doing a little bit of writing as well. My man, I appreciate the time, uh, and let's, uh, let's do this again in a little bit. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you, man. We do. Thank you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.